0: Is your mental health practice buried in the bottom of Google search results? There's a way out. Simplified SEO Consulting offers a roadmap to search engine success. As mental health professionals, they know how to help therapists attract ideal clients and build a thriving practice. Go to simplifiedseoconsulting.com forward slash modern therapist to learn more and unlock your SEO potential this summer.
1: Considering a transition to private pay? Thrizer can help you transform out of network therapy to look and feel like an in network experience for your clients. Your clients just pay co-insurance for sessions instead of waiting weeks for reimbursement. Thrizer covers the rest of your fees so you get paid in full upfront. Check out our special link, join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thrizer. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy. And occasionally we talk about some of the issues that our clients bring into sessions, things that we. Might not get really prepared for in our normal therapist trainings and our grad schools. Sometimes these very special topics are very much at the cutting edge of things that we learn about. And to get to the point of things today, we are joined by Therapy Reimagined speaker. Uh, all I'm seeing is shaking heads from Katie our <laughs> guests. Our guest is Angela Caldwell. She is here to talk to us about self injury and one of our Therapy Reimagined conference speakers. We're very excited to have her back this year. And she's here to share all of her wisdom and expertise on working with cutting and non suicidal self injury. Thank you very much for spending some time with us today.
2: Thank you for having me and for all the puns. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're so glad to have you. You're a friend of the show for sure. And you did an awesome job at our conference last year. And we're so glad to feature you this year. The first Thank question you. that we ask all of our guests is who are you and what are you putting out into the world?
2: Yeah. I love that you guys asked that question. It's That is a great reflective, introspective question.
0: So here's my answer.
2: I I have changed across my the, the span of my career so far. I came in I think I came in like most therapists I wanted to I wanted to be a therapist I wanted to help people I wanted to I I wanted to have a specialty um I didn't want to be a generalist and so my specialization in self-injury was how I started and that's how I built my reputation it's how I built my business it's how most other therapists my friends it's how they know me it's how I get referrals and it's a population that is always dear to my heart but I would say over the past three years, there has been a shift in what I am interested in putting out into the world. And so I've gone backwards. I think, I think some therapists go from being generalist to specializing, and I'm, I feel myself going from specialization to generalized. Most people who know me know that I am absolutely a champion of family systems therapy, and that's become... Uh, that's become my joy and happiness. Um, <laughs> and so now, in, in you know, past three to five years or so, now I'm looking at my clientele, and there's the percentage changed. So it used to be mostly non-suicidal self-injury, some garden variety family therapy, and now it's mostly garden variety fa- family therapy and some self-injury. It doesn't mean that I don't still love that population and it doesn't mean I want to talk about it all day long with you guys today. But what I'm putting out in the world is I want to, I want to add my voice to the champions of families, the the champions of dinner tables. I want to build dinner tables. I want families to get along. I want families to find their way back to each other. I, I don't want to, I don't want to there's there's a small movement. I don't know. You guys tell me what you think. There's a little movement, it feels like, of therapists who are interested in um, severing family ties because they're identifying family members as being toxic, and you have to remove the toxic people from your lives. I want to move against that current. I want to say, let's not remove family members from families. Let's, let's patch families back up and sew them back together. So what did I just say? I think I'm selling dinner tables. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jumping right into it. When, when therapists are faced with clients who are engaging in self-injury, what are some of the mistakes that a lot of therapists make early on that if, if we're going to use this as a learning place, like how do therapists usually approach this in an incorrect way so that way we can help our listeners not make those same mistakes?
2: So two mistakes come to mind right off the bat. And the first is in the treatment planning, and the second is in the way of being in the room. So the first mistake, I would say, is the goal. It is a mistake to make the goal of therapy stop cutting. Okay. And then in the way of being, it is a mistake, hold on to your hats and glasses, to take it so <laughs> seriously. <laughs> so, so in the treatment planning side, it's understandable. It's understandable that a therapist, especially somebody who's not as familiar with this, would want to, that seems like a reasonable goal. Somebody comes in and says, I'm cutting a lot, which is not usually how it happens. Somebody comes in and what they say is, my mom thinks I should be in therapy or my boyfriend thinks I should be in therapy and cutting is a problem or burning is a problem or carving is a problem. And so the therapist reasonably thinks, okay, well then let's help you stop cutting or stop carving or whatever it is. Because non-suicidal self-injury is more broadly understood as a form of coping, that's akin to making the goal of treatment stop crying as opposed to... Understanding what you're crying about, so in this case, understand what you're cutting about, addressing that, making that the goal of therapy, and then what you do is you render the self-injury unnecessary. In the way of being, again, understandably, a lot of therapists approach this with their own anxiety, and that makes them put a gravity to the topic that that exacerbates the problem. And it, it makes a therapist it's hard. It's a weird thing for me to say, but the elephant in the room would be the cutting. And I want you to kind of let it be an elephant in the room. Let it, it, I always tell people in my therapy with self-injurers, I'm hardly ever talking about self-injury.
0: That makes me feel so much better. <laughs> 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 because I think it's something where, you know, there's well, there's a few things there. The first one is making a goal of not cutting is like- It's, it's symptom like, reduction. It's symptom reduction, but it's also removing something without putting something in its place. And I think that's the thing that I find really hard with trying to change coping, whether it's smoking or cutting or drinking or whatever, if there's not a replacement there, then you just have a person in pain with no mechanism to, to, to soothe themselves. And so to me, I think a lot of times, and and I think about this when I was in Community mental health, but like that, that, that notion of like liability being the issue, and so we have to show that we are trying to get them to stop hurting themselves. It's like, okay, and maybe that's what the paperwork says, but like, are you cutting this week? Let me see your arms. Like whatever it is, like it feels so intrusive and overwhelming. And from what you're saying, potentially irrelevant. It's it's the type of coping strategy, and I'm sure you're going to go into more detail. And I'm oversimplifying, but it's the type of coping strategy. It, that's not the treatment. The treatment is getting to what the, what the what's there. But the other part is like, don't be so focused on, I mean, they go hand in hand, right? Because if, you're, if your treatment goal is to do it, is to, to stop doing it, then you're going to have to check it and talk about it all the time. Whereas if the treatment goal is more around- what
2: unnecessary.
0: Rendering it unnecessary, then of course you can relax into it, which for me, it feels a lot better. So-
2: I love what you just said. <laughs> if, you, if I could record that speech, because the other thing you're up against, it's not, it, it, I think the greener therapists are concerned about liability. Once you get over that hurdle, the other thing you're up against is parents, because this is a mm-hmm. population that's presenting usually around teenagehood. And if not the other teenagehood, early twenties, right? And yeah. there there's, there's a family member that, that is uh, understandably very upset about the cutting, very upset about the burning. And they very much want that to be the focus of treatment. So you're up again. you've got an opponent there in a way with a parent or a concerned loved one. And it's that speech that you just gave is, a, is what I tell parents is, hey, listen, we can't make that the focus because if I take that away, I'm taking away the only oar that he or she has in the paddle boat, right? Like the, then, then, then she's going to crash, right? That doesn't assuage them completely. It buys you about a week. So <laughs> <you> can, <laughs> but but if you can give a version of that speech every week, actually now that I think about it, a lot of my treatment is reassurance with parents.
0: Which,
1: you know, has that natural, I guess, extension into the family therapy work that you were talking about at the beginning. But I imagine that part of this discussion too is really also differentiating between the non suicidal self-injury and self-injury that does come with suicide. And I know suicides being a big focus of a lot of the discussions around mental health right now, and a lot of the trainings focusing on it. It's a topic that we've visited several times here on this show already. How do you go about assessing the differences between suicidal and non-suicidal self-injury?
2: It's one word. You are looking for intent. So, non-suicidal self-injurers lack intent to kill themselves. As a matter of fact, you see the contrary, what you, what you'll hear in your office are stories about how the other night I cut so deep and it really scared me. So I had to wake my mom up. In fact, that's sometimes how they end up in therapy in the first place. One time I burned so bad and it wasn't healing that I actually called 911. Well, listen to what you're hearing in those sessions. What you're hearing is, oh God, I might die. Not, I think it's time for me to die right? So you guys probably have suicide experts that come on here that can walk through a, a comprehensive suicide assessment. All good therapists know that you should be assessing for suicide with all of your clients all of the time. Um, it's just that you do it in the back of your mind. The, the relationship between non-suicidal self-injury and suicidal self-injury is, this is such an annoying answer. I hate when people say this and I'm going to say it, both simple and complex. <laughs> um, <laughs> I told you the simple part just now, the intent Sometimes uh, my students or my associates will say, "But how do you how can you assess for intent?" And that that's my husband likes to say there is such thing as a stupid question. Ask. Ask what the <laughs> intent was. I, I I have this thing that I say that it's it's important for therapists to be able to talk about suicide to use the word suicide with the same emphasis that we use the word hamburger. We should be able to create a space in the room where it's safe to talk about this. You get to bring all of those thoughts to me. You get to tell me about your ideas, and you get to you don't have you're not going to scare me. You can change your mind. You can think that you want to kill yourself one day and not think you want to kill yourself the next day. Okay, so the simple part is intent, and ask. How do you assess for intent? You ask, like outright ask. There's a lot of cool stuff that comes with being direct, with coming out and saying, okay, so what was happening there? Were you trying to die? What you do in that magical sentence is build rapport. You establish trust. You show that client you're not afraid to talk about this. You're not going to hold it against them. You want to know all the information. You're not going to freak out. Okay, the complex part. Parents will ask you, and principals and psychiatrists will ask you some version of this question is self injury a, a gateway drug to suicide <laughs> right so they, mm-hmm. and and it's you get why they're asking that this is a scary thing for loved ones to see and the answer to that is and and I'll tell therapists it's it's a trickier thing to talk about with parents and loved ones of course but not because it's self injury because Any emotional distress is a gateway to suicide, right? Because eating disorder can lead to suicide or substance abuse can lead to suicide. It's not that the action, in fact, that's not even a correct sentence. The eating disorder isn't leading to suicide. The self-injury isn't leading to suicide. All of those are ways to cope with something that is going unresolved. And if that thing continues to be unresolved, then yes, you are looking at a suicide risk. Of course you are. Um, There's a there's a problem in the way that it's um, being researched, not the researchers fault, the way that we are consuming the research on it in terms of correlation. And you guys are familiar with the causation versus correlation problem. Yes. Mm -hmm. Anytime we establish a correlation in the literature. All of us, I'm even guilty of this. All of us want to jump to a causation. Of course we do. We're human beings. We are creatures that want to be able to explain and predict our environments. When you you actually do a deep dive into the databases, what you will find is a strong correlation between non-suicidal self-injury and suicide attempts. A, we don't want to mistake that for causation, and B, slow down also do a deep dive into the correlation between substance abuse and suicide attempt divorce and suicide attempt yeah. grief and suicide attempt right there's the 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 problem with that discussion is the way that we take it in not so much how it's being researched right the researchers doing a great job but the way that we're taking it in is oh, if she's cutting she's probably going to commit suicide okay that, that's a problematic statement for all the reasons i just described the reason I can forgive people for making that mistake is because of what it is. Unlike an eating disorder, unlike general depression, unlike a divorce, self-injury, a lot of times, in fact, most of the times happens on the arm, usually nearby the wrist, wrist, and usually with some kind of blade. So it sure looks a lot like what we see in suicide. So I can, I can, I can forgive and understand why people get freaked out about that idea. That was a big speech. Sorry. <laughs>
1: Feeling like your ideal clients just can't find you online? There's a better way with Simplified SEO Consulting. They're a team of mental health marketing specialists who understand the unique challenges therapists face in the digital world. Forget wasting time on confusing SEO tactics that leave you feeling frustrated and out of the loop.
0: Simplified SEO Consulting offers a range of proven solutions to fit your practice needs, from DIY courses that empower you to take control, to done-with-you coaching that provides expert guidance at every step, to their individualized, done-for-you SEO plans that let you focus on your clients while they handle the details. Plus, they have an innovative content network program that has set practices across the country apart from the rest. When you're ready to start showing up in front of your ideal clients online, the expert team at Simplified SEO Consulting is ready for you.
1: Visit SimplifiedSEOConsulting.com forward slash modern therapist to schedule your free consultation and find the perfect SEO plan to unlock the full potential of your practice. Don't forget to mention Modern Therapist Revival Guide podcast for $100 off your done-for-you SEO onboarding, or use code Therapist for 20% off a DIY SEO course this summer.
0: Well, I was just, I was thinking about kind of this idea of correlation versus causation, and I think there's, I think there's a lot of folks who get, they tell themselves a story. And so one of the stories i think i've told myself in the past is that sometimes self-injury is coping and sometimes it's practicing and i think that story of it being practicing i think is what what kind of flows in with this causation how far off am i that <laughs> I is the question from your from your understanding of it that, so we've got a couple of
2: researchers that are, you know, taking the lead on that. That's the question I think they are trying to answer and they don't have an answer for that. The The, the most important researcher we have here is a guy named Matthew Knock, I And mean, if you look at what he's been writing, he's, he's trying to answer that question. So the bad news, Katie, is we don't know. I will say that anecdotally, and so I'm looking at my years of practice and I'm, how many is that? My very first case was my very, was my very first like hour number one of 3000 hours was self-injury. So I've been doing this for 15 or 16 years. I have not seen practice. I have seen uh, coping and I have seen cry for help. That, that's what I've seen there. It's not to say that I've never seen suicidal ideation, even suicidal gesture in my office. It's just that it's, I'm cautious to link self injury with suicide so in such a, a short, abrupt way,
1: you talked about the need to address what 's going on underneath the the self harm as being the the key to treatment here and in in looking at that, what are kind of some of the times that we see self harm as as an expression of a, a deeper symptomology like Get us to this, get us to this nuts and bolts of like, why do people right. What's, Why are they doing it? Why are, if it's not suicide, why is it?
2: Yeah. Okay. So my favorite question, you know, it's funny. I, I wanted to give this talk. I submitted an abstract to this conference once and it got turned down because it wasn't what they were looking. Oh, wait a minute. That was you guys.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't what they were looking for at the time, but I actually wanted to give, and someday somebody will let me give a talk about one of the causations. Is that a word? One of the causes. I wanted to give a talk entitled Rage in the Family, The Problem with Really, Really, Really Nice Families. So.
0: <laughs> wait, wait, we turned that down? That sounds amazing.
2: <laughs> well, gee, thanks, Katie. I'm going to send it to you next time. Yeah, send it to me. <laughs> this is going to seem overly simplified, and I guess I'm sorry for that. I, I want you to, to go with me down an oversimplified path. There are two things that are at the core of self-injurers or excuse me, non-suicidal self-injury. And that is, uh, we, we, we talk about them in terms of profiles. There's two profiles, one profile we call the rage based profile. And the other one we call the peer based profile. We used to call it the attention seeking and that was frowned upon. We don't want to use that therapist yeah. punched yeah. me in the face for using that term. So we change it to peer based self, uh, non-suicidal self-injury. So in the first case, Nah, let's do the second one. It's easier. In the second case, the peer-based one, if you have ever heard, there's this software called Facebook, and there's an, another one called Instagram. I, I imagine you're familiar. With
0: yeah, yeah. We're familiar.
2: <laughs> 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 and and there's like YouTube InstaTalk. You know, there's like whatever. Yeah, there's, so, yeah the, the tickety <laughs> i of these. I'm new to the World Wide Web, so um <laughs> Okay, come on. Any any therapist in the world is aware that we have an issue on social media um, with younger with kids and then the young the the older kids, right? The the twenties, mid-20s. There is an epidemic in my little corner of the field, and there has been for years now of us getting calls from parents my kids started cutting or or a best friend found out and called the principal and the principals send them you know sending them to us because they heard that their friend was cutting over instagram or facebook and what's happening is they're taking pictures of their cuts or their burns or the words that they carved into their arm and they're posting them they're broadcasting them on social media okay now, this is different from uh, when we grew up, <laughs> us geezers, right? Because <laughs> it, it was an unknown idea. It was, no, nobody knows what the prevalence was when we were, you know, when we were coming up, it was certainly more surprising to people because there wasn't some avenue to be able to broadcast it to everybody. So when I first started this specialization, check this out. Most of the people, when they t- when I said, how did you learn about this? What, how did you start this? And most of them, it was an accident, So a great example of that is I had somebody who was telling me the story of the very first time she cut herself accidentally and she was doing dishes and her mother was berating her and screaming these awful things in a drunken rage at her. And she was getting this big headache and she was having a panic attack and she, the dish that she was washing broke and it cut her hand and her panic disappeared and her headache disappeared. And that's how she discovered self-injury. So it was stories like that, that I was hearing in the early days And now the stories you hear, I saw it on Instagram. I saw it on Facebook, right? Mm. There's a, (laughs) self-injury has taken on a little bit of a social currency because now, I say now, you guys have to check me on that. Did we do this? Maybe, did all generations do this? I'm going to say now and then you can correct me. There's a contest going on to be the most fucked up. Oh, sorry.
1: (laughs) You you can cuss. It's the internet.
2: (laughs) Sorry, mom. Okay. There's a beauty pageant, but it's not a beauty pageant. It's like a mental illness pageant going on right now. And it's been going on for 10 years and they are, they're one up, but they're one upping each other in trying to be the most mentally ill. About three years ago there, we found that there's a new one because for a while they were all cutting and then out cutting themselves. Um, Now, do you know that now they're all hearing voices? Now, now mm. they're all psychotic. Now they're out psychoticing each other. But it's uh, it really is things like someone will cut their arms and put a picture of it on Instagram, and then it starts a whole thread. Now someone else cut both of their arms. Well, I cut my legs. Well, and it's like a it's like a contest. Okay, so the treatment plan for that: roll your eyes, don't discuss it, let them do it. Those are the cutters that are going to do it like three or four times and give up on it and assess to see if there's actually a real problem that you can help with. Like, is there actually some other, is there a family issue? Is there depression, anxiety? Is there something else I can actually treat here? I'm going to say on your podcast, don't even treat it. It's going to go away after the fourth time. Ignore it. Leave it alone. Okay.
1: You can direct those legal inquiries to (laughs) Ask
2: my husband. (laughs) We can have another podcast where we talk about how mad Ben is at me for the things that I say in public. (laughs) (laughs) I would say that. Okay, so the harder one. The harder one is the rage-based. When we discuss rage, we have to talk about the difference between rage and anger. There's a misunderstanding in our culture, not all cultures, but in ours we have a misunderstanding that rage is simply anger with the volume turned all the way up rather than understanding that rage is actually a neurochemically different emotion. Um, It's it's a different secretion in our brains. Rage is limbic as opposed to anger, which is cortical. And that's a fancy way of saying anger, you're you're still rational. If you think about when you become angry with someone, (laughs) I, I joke with my clients about this. Have you ever noticed there's a gift that anger brings? Anger brings the gift of clarity. All of a yes, sudden, yes. If, if things were hazy before, now you know exactly who fucked you, when they did it, and what you need them to do right now, right? And yes. I've, I'm a new parent. I, my kids are three and four, and I, I'm, I'm very in touch with how rational and cortical anger can be, because all of a sudden, you're gesticulating very clearly. You are enunciating. Put that down, right? It's, a, it's a, like all of a sudden, the clouds have cleared. You can see exactly what's happening. I would make an argument that anger is actually quite rational. Um, you can you can be in a debate. Anger fuels Black Lives Matter and the Civil Rights Movement and feminism. Right? Anger is very clear and very rational and very logical. Rage is being cut off on the four hundred five. Right? Rage is animalistic, limbic. It, the blood vessels and heart kind of feels the same in those two emotions, but the, the, the brain functioning and the and the urge is different. The urge in anger is pro-social, is to approach, right? And the urge in rage is to destroy, tear apart, punch a hole in the wall. It's um destructive, right? Okay. Self-injury is rage. That's that self-injury is destructive. Self-injury is the result Believe it or not, it's the same emotion in a self-injury, in a, in a not peer-based, in a rage-based episode, the emotion happening there is the same emotion that we know from being cut off on the 405. It's this, it's this animalistic, I can't believe, it's, it comes from a place of injustice, of feeling completely invisible, completely unheard. And it's, it occurs because in a given situation, your anger is not useful to you. So go back to my freeway example. If you're on the freeway in your car and somebody cuts you off, <laughs> this is not a time that your anger would be useful to you. You can't say, hey, listen, I was here first. You need to get behind me so that the other guy has an opportunity to say, oh, you know what? I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <Right>? It's not <laughs> useful. Well, when when your brain, your cortex is aware that you cannot use the chemicals that it just secreted for you in anger it's going to lose its mind. And that's a whole nother podcast episode of what's going on there, but it's going to lose its mind and it's going to start seeking. So the research that we have for this this argument that I'm making argues that rage comes with a stimulus-seeking drive. I want you to think about how other people might seek stimulus. Other people might, if you happen to be, I don't know, someone like Angela Caldwell, you might be punching things uh, like your steering wheel or (laughs) throwing your iPhone against... The wall and having to pay another six hundred dollars for a replacement, um, but things like that, like 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 when you think about stimulus, like banging your fist on the on the on the desk, if you think about when you have those moments of rage. Those are you're seeking destruction. Imagine what happens if you have that natural human emotion that we all have, everybody has it, but you're being raised in a really 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 nice family, a really really nice family whose governing rule. Principle cardinal rule is thou shalt not burden another human being. Well, we have a problem now, right? Yes. Because if I punch something, it's gonna burden another human being. I'm, if I if I put a hole in the wall, somebody's gonna have to buy some drywall or some plaster, right? If I break my phone, someone's gonna have to buy a phone. I can't break my mom's dish, those are her special dishes. I can't go outside and scream, it'll upset the neighbors. If you take away all of the places to vent, or, or, I should say, to seek and obtain tactile stimulus, you're leaving something, someone with only one possible option, and that's their own body. And it's, it's tricky because when they do that, when they go after their own body, they're able to have the serotonin secretion afterwards that yes admit it we all have when we punch the steering, steering. i mean your hand hurts but you feel better right yeah.
0: they
2: they feel better they're all going to tell you after they cut they feel better so they have that but they also have been able to do it they've been able to vent the rage and to feel better without breaking any rules without upsetting anybody without causing a burden to anybody else so when they're discovered and they go to therapy they are Mortified it's the last place they want to be because the whole point was to cut on my own body so that it doesn't cause a burden to anybody else, and all they'll talk to you about in those first two or three sessions is how much money this is costing their mom and and how they really don't want if they're really fine, and they have clients all the time telling me that they really should give their space up to somebody who really needs therapy. They're 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 insisting that they don't need this. They're insisting that they are. I make a joke. It's maybe not a nice joke. The f word of cutters. That they are fine. They are absolutely Mm -hmm. fine.
0: If you've been considering switching to private pay and are unsure how to attract and retain clients, Thrizer can be your best resource. How? Thrizer actually helps you transform out-of-network therapy to look and feel like an in-network experience for clients with out-of-network benefits.
1: First, Thryser can help clients instantly verify their out-of-network benefits, providing them complete transparency on the cost of therapy ahead of their first session. Then, just by charging your clients via Thrizer's payment platform, you can automatically submit claims for them, offload all the insurance stress onto Thryser, and even let your clients just pay their coinsurance for sessions, similar to in-network co-pays, to help them afford therapy upfront and skip the long reimbursement wait. Thhriser covers the rest of your fees, so you get paid in full upfront and waits for reimbursement on your client's behalf.
0: They also have a Superbill uploads feature, which is completely free for therapists. If you'd like to instead offer your clients a resource to manage their own super bills, they manage all claims end to end, so you or your clients don't need to deal with any of the insurance stress. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code Modern Therapists to start your free trial and receive waived fees for your first $2,500 in payments.
1: I know when I was first getting trained, the very popular idea was, you know, around this attention or this peer-seeking sort of cutting that, oh, these these people need the attention that comes along with, let's send them to groups. (laughs) You laugh. I I know from my experience of working with a ton of teenagers, this is a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) From your perspective, why doesn't group therapy work for teens engaging in self-harm?
2: I don't have the right to have my own perspective. I, I have my own experience with it. It's it's Barrett Walsh, who is the the king of something called the contagion factor. And then I'm going to ask everybody who encounters this to do a deep dive into the research on something called co-rumination. This is a fascinating corner of, of literature that examines adolescent relationships, particularly female-female relationships, and how, yes, it increases bonding, but in females, sometimes it increases depression because of this thing called co-rumination. Come on, Katie. You know what
0: I'm talking about. (laughs) It's like this visceral thing of like, oh my gosh. Right? Those friends that you're just like, oh.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Right. And, and I was, I mean, I was a pretty emo kid. Like I, I definitely remember sitting with my other emo girlfriend and, and sitting and talking about how bad life is. And then she talked about how bad life was. And so I talked about how bad life, and we just got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and, and affected mood, affected energy level, affected my outlook and my attitude, you know? So, okay. So, Kirk, that's one part of it is co-rumination, which is a fascinating part of our field. And then, like I said, Barrett Walsh, he's a PhD who's been in the self-injury field for, I think, decades before I showed up. And he's got a a, a focus in his research on something called contagion factor. And that is the, probably what you see. It's what, what most of us see when you put teenagers in a group together. They- one-up each other. They cut harder. They cut deeper than the last one. And you, you get an epidemic in a matter of days.
1: But I think that there's also, when you misidentify a person who starts from that rage perspective, the the bearer of the family secrets as being somebody who needs the attention end of it, is now you're throwing them into this very mortifying situation of, I didn't want attention from one person. Now I'm supposed to have the attention of eight.
2: Right. I feel like there should be a, a, like the opposite of a pet team. Like there should be a a team that like (laughs) removes you from those, from like the psych wards, you know, like get her out of there.
0: (laughs) So, so those are the things that don't work. Like we don't want to do group therapy. We don't want to focus on it. We want to make sure that we understand that it's not the goal for treatment to, to get rid of non-suicidal self-injury. What does effective treatment actually look like? We're, we're we're running short on time. I want to get to the very practical. This is the survival guide for therapists portion. Like, what should therapists do? Okay. That's effective treatment.
2: All right, guys, here it is. It's easy. Family therapy. Just do it. And can I can I get mad on your podcast?
0: Yes, you can <laughs> so, get very mad.
2: <laughs> I, I am so sick of the question. Okay, what if you don't have access to the family? Oh my god, you have access to the family unless they are in the ground. You have access to the family. <laughs> Therapists are so scared of, of that. The family's going to say no. I got news for you. All families say no. Do you want to go to family therapy, Katie? Do you want to go to family therapy? Nobody
0: wants <laughs> no, to go to not family really.
2: therapy. No, wake up. There is no such thing as the family that goes, you know what? We, we have a funky family dance and we all need to change Angela. So tell us how to do it. There's no such thing guys. Therapist, stop asking me that question. What if I don't have access to the family? You have access to the family. <laughs> All right.
0: Okay. I feel better now. See, that was okay. rage. <laughs> See there we go. Bang? Uh, no, I think it was anger because you seemed very rational.
2: Damn it. You're right. That was, yep, that was, <laughs> that was angry. if you ignored me, I would start punching the computer. That would be rage. That would um, be rage. Okay. Family therapy. What kind of fam- family therapy doesn't matter. I happen to practice strategic and structural. You can do experiential. You can do Bowen. The type of family therapy doesn't matter as long as your treatment goal is to rewrite the family constitution around anger and anger expression. What family therapy looks like with these kinds of family is more like assertiveness training. This is a family that, is, that engages in what we call careful talk. So the the sessions feel very stifled and very stilted. The family members won't won't speak directly or they or they'll they'll carefully dance around what they're trying to say. It's the it's the opposite of what you guys know about me. They're very indirect in their communications. So your your family therapy treatment plan is designed around relaxing fears that you're going to hurt people's feelings, help them realize, of course, you're going to hurt people's feelings. This is a family. I don't know how to be in a family without hurting my family members feelings, right? But that's, that's okay. You can do that. For me in structural family therapy, that is unbalancing and enactment after enactment after enactment um, to help them rehearse that to, to go ahead and get your feelings hurt and watch how easy this is to repair. I was saying before it's, it looks a lot like assertiveness training. This I think is kind of, it becomes a little bit of a fine art because you can tell someone to be assertive. That's not therapy. They can read that in a book. You can model assertiveness. Okay. Moving a little bit more toward therapy, but that's you being assertive. It's one thing for them to, to, for, for, to watch a therapist do it, right? Yeah. It's another thing to actually get them to be assertive. All right. So here it comes. You provoke a fight, you provoke a <laughs> fight in the family <laughs> and you do it session after session after session and you unbalance and unbalance and unbalance. And you, you, it, what happens with all humans, if you make them mad enough, they're going to shout. They're going to say what they're actually thinking and feeling. They're going to shout at you first because you're safe. They don't want to upset their family members. They have to get in the car in an hour with that family member. They're going to shout at you first. You ready? Shout back. Have an argument with them. Have an argument with them and let them see. And, and as you're having the argument, it's almost like kind of having two games on at the same time, have the argument with them and simultaneously say, hey, we're having an argument. I still like you. Keep going, right? And like reassure them that this argument is not going to break our relationship. And then session after session, get, provoke fights so that they have arguments with each other and conduct the repair in session. Show them that that fight was not detrimental to their relationship. In fact, highlight the places, and it has to be genuine. Don't make shit up, right? Highlight the places where that fight actually made them understand each other better, and they're probably going to like each other better now. It's actually going to bring them closer. It's actually going to increase their bonding. That's it. It's called fight therapy. It's called fight club.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. Where can people find out more about you and your practice?
2: Okay, Kurt, I knew you were going to ask me that, you've caught me at a funny transition. It's an exciting transition. So everybody can find me at my website, which is selfinjuryinstitute.com. And my um, phone number and email is on there. We are just about, I don't know when you're going to air the podcast, but in like oh, two weeks, we are launching the new website, which is the Caldwell Family Institute.com. So that's, that's, that's us moving kind of from a specific self-injury world to broader family coaching.
1: And we will include links to that in our show notes. You can find those at our website, mtsgpodcast.com. Also check out the conference website, therapyreimaginedconference.com. Angela is one of our fabulous speakers. She's going to be bringing all of this energy and (laughs) entertainment and information to us. It's a virtual conference september 24th 25th and 26th i am super excited for angela's presentation our friends over at simple practice are helping us put this on taking care of ces and check out the website for all of the information around that and until next time i'm kurt woodhound with katie and angela caldwell thank you for listening to the modern therapist survival guide learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Feeling stuck with SEO for your therapy practice? There's hope. Head to simplifiedSEOconsulting.com forward slash modern therapist and unlock your website's SEO potential with simplified SEO consulting. Use code Modern Therapist for a discount and mention the Modern Therapist Survival Guide podcast. For a special offer on done-for-you SEO this summer, let's build your dream practice together.
0: Charge your full rate with confidence with Thryser. Thryser takes care of 100% of the insurance stress and helps your clients skip the long reimbursement wait, giving you a powerful tool to attract and retain out-of-network clients with ease. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thrizer.